Hello, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Moving Up the Ladder, a show that gives you some insight and knowledge into improving the success of your career, no matter what part of the employment spectrum you fall on. For localjobnetwork.com radio, I'm your host, Tim Muma. We're focusing on productivity in the workplace today, more specifically some ways to increase that productivity, whether it be on an individual basis or as an employer or a manager, getting more out of your employees. Speaking with us today will be Jeff Hayden. Jeff is the owner of Blackbird Media as well as a featured columnist for CBS Money Watch. Jeff, thanks a lot for joining us today. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Now, one of the reasons that I believe you would be a great fit to talk about this is really your own work history. I mean, it's, it's diverse and you have a lot of background in, in management and other areas. Uh, tell us a little bit about your experiences. Uh, I worked my way through college at a manufacturing plant and I liked manufacturing because well, this will sound terrible, uh, but when I interviewed for jobs after I got out of college, they were all with 40-year-old men in cubicles, which, of course, I am today. Um, but at the time, I was holding my fingers up in the shape of a cross like, no. Uh, so I got a job as a material handler at another manufacturing plant. It was a division of R.R. Donnelly. Uh, they're the world's largest commercial printers now. Uh, and I was a material handler, which literally meant carrying really heavy stuff really fast from place to place, almost mindlessly, at a pace that you thought was criminal. Nice. And that was good stuff. Uh, did that for a while, worked my way up the ladder, ended up in supervisory roles and management roles, and then later moved to another company to run all manufacturing operations for a book plant for them. Uh, so I've done, I've done everything possible. I've done everything possible wrong. Um, I've made every mistake that is possible to make. So I, I don't know by any means that I'm a management guru, but I do have, know how to mess stuff up and I have learned some stuff from it. Well, and uh, as I'm sure you know, you only grow through making those mistakes. So that's... Uh, well, I, then I, I should be huge. <laughs> well, carrying all those books and running back oh, and yeah. forth, you must be ripped. Uh, uh, not anymore. <laughs> Well, when we talk about production, obviously that, that can vary depending on what industry you're in, whether it be something physical or, or just informationally. But, I mean, it's, it's really at the heart of any organization. So when you're looking at this from your experiences, are, are there one or two things you can point to as really being the, the keys to productivity? People like to the, – the common answer is engagement mm -hmm. or accountability or responsibility or autonomy, and all those things are important. But I think it goes a step farther back. And the real key is whether or not people care. And if you think about that in your own life, the stuff you care about is the stuff that you will work harder on, you'll try harder on, you'll persevere, you'll stick with it. Mm -hmm. So the real key to productivity, whether it's for yourself or your employees that you're leading, is you have to find a way to get them to care. And that, to me, is the real key to any productivity. So you're, and you're looking at it from a manager's point of view and obviously maybe trying to incorporate that and getting that out in your employees of, of them caring, but are there some ways that you can actually in, improve the productivity, whether it be maybe towards some tasks or, or some ways of thinking? I, mean, I guess what would you point to just based on, you know, again, you being in those management positions? Well, I'm, I'm going to hit on the caring thing again really quick. No, oh, sure. The caring part, you know, that sounds very touchy-feely, but really the key to that is if your employees think you care about them, then they will care about you and therefore the company. Sure. So everything that you do as a leader is designed to show people that you are engaged with them, you feel accountable to them, you re feel responsibility to them. That 
that kind of flips that engagement, accountability, responsibility thing around. So if you show people you care, and you have to show them first, <laughs> they don't have to earn right. your caring. As a leader, you're supposed to care first until you can no longer care anymore and you have to let them go. Uh, but that that is the real key. So everything that you do, and we'll, we'll talk about some kind of specific stuff, but each one of them shows that you care about your employees as people and as employees. So you know, to answer one of your questions, um, one of my favorite things to do is play the eliminate stupid stuff game. All you <laughs> Seriously, all you do is you go to an employee and you say, hey, I know you're doing something that either irritates you or you feel is worthless or you don't understand why you're doing it. Tell me something that you have to do that you don't think makes sense and let's figure out if we can make it go away. Mm -hmm. And if you do that, and I'll guarantee they'll come up with stuff because everybody is doing things that don't matter. So if you do that and you make that go away, You've shown you care about their day. You've shown you care that they're bored and they, they don't feel like they're contributing. And you free them up to actually do good stuff. And when you're doing good stuff, you feel better about yourself and you feel better about your job. So one of my favorites is just to walk over to somebody and say, hey, what are you doing that you don't think makes any sense or that we should change or that we should get rid of? And then you help them make that happen. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's something we'll definitely talk about a little bit later. Uh, that's one of the things you did mention along those lines of, um, you know, maybe just tasks that bog people down. And as you say, maybe they think it, this is meaningless to me. But um, looking at it from, you talk about this kind of this care aspect. And, you know, I got to be honest and talk to a lot of business people. And they're going to think and they even say, you know, essentially, you know, look, that's not my job. My job's story about the business, blah, blah, blah. Um, but, you know, you, you talk about things that you wrote about um, this idea of esteem incentive. And I, how does that relate to what you're talking about? And, and I guess what does that mean exactly? Let's deal with the money thing first because it's it's common to think that every employee works for money, and we all do. Mm -hmm. We're not volunteering our time. Right. But money and pay is kind of like a house. You know, when you move into a bigger house and it feels really cool and, wow, this is awesome, and about three months later you filled it with stuff and no longer is your big house a big house. It's just your house. <laughs> and so you start looking around. And so money kind of works the same way. So money is not a driver long-term of performance or productivity or anything else. So your job as a manager is to find other ways much more frequently to make people feel good about themselves and what they're doing. So my my line of create self-esteem incentives, you have to look at, take an individual, say we're looking at you. If I'm going to somehow recognize or praise you, you may be the kind of guy that likes that when it happens in a group. You enjoy the public thing, you know, you played football in high school or something, you, you <laughs> like cheerleaders, you know, you're into that and that feels really good to you. Somebody else may hate that because they don't like the attention, they don't like being in the spotlight, mm -hmm. they may really just like that individually. So, the first thing you do is figure out you can't do a one-size-fits-all where praise and recognition is concerned. So figure out what that person will best respond to because that is what you're hoping is that you'll get the biggest impact possible. Right. Then say, okay, let me create some incentives for this person that are based on what makes the most impact. If, if a person likes to kind of show that they're in charge and knowledgeable with other people, maybe you have them be in charge of presenting something to upper management. Um, maybe a, another guy would rather be in charge of some project where he doesn't have to get that kind of upper visibility, but he gets to lead and show his strengths there. Or maybe somebody just likes to learn about other things, so you give them a chance to train in some other department. It kind of boils down to the average employee will work hard because it's their job, mm -hmm. but Empo all employees will work harder when they feel good about themselves. So think about the latitude that you have within each person's job 
and find a ways to exploit that so that your employees get to feel better about themselves. And that creates little self-esteem incentives that don't cost you any money. They just cost you a little bit of thought. And in every case, you're getting better performance. Now, obviously, you gave us some examples there of sort of individualizing it. And I think most people would sort of, you know, they would agree with that in some respects. I've heard on the other side of things, though, that there's this concern that maybe one person, you know, they see it as being, I don't want to say not fair, but this person gets a certain treatment or they're handled a different way than another person. And and maybe that creates problems. Do you have an answer to that? Is it just being open with everybody about how you're handling? What's your kind of take? Well, being open with how you're handling it is is important, but I don't think it's possible. I think it's naive to assume that you can treat every employee the same way. Mm -hmm. You can treat every employee fairly, but I don't think it's possible to treat every employee the same way, or otherwise you're, you're creating a staff of theoretical robots, none of whom are actually robots. So as long as you are talking to people and... I don't think you necessarily have to explain, hey, I just put Joe over in the other department because he loves to train in other places and this is kind of cool for him. Mm -hmm. You don't really talk about Joe, but you talk to that person and say, if they're concerned about it, say, hey, what works for you? What would you like to be doing? What what do you want to do? Where do you want to go with your career? Find out what they like and what means something to them. And then, if possible, make those opportunities available. And if that person hasn't earned those opportunities, which often happens, then you have to spell it out and say, well, right now I can't really send you over there to do that because you're not really hitting the mark in your current stuff. So Mm -hmm. let's figure out how to get you there so that you are doing what you need to be doing, and then we can talk about extra stuff. So I can't tell you it's exciting and fun to have to have all those conversations, but if you are looking to build a high-performance staff and to get the most you can out of all your folks and have them feel good about the fact you're getting the most out of them that you can, you've got to go through that. It takes time and it takes effort, but the the return on the far end is much greater than just kind of one-sizing, one-size-fits-alling people. And with talking a little bit about, you know, a manager or someone in a management position, checking in with those employees and then trying to maybe figure out what works for them. Is there ever some sort, I mean, is there a way that a manager can really fully engage maybe in some sort of work they're doing without maybe that concern of maybe creating this anxiousness of, oh, the manager's watching me. They're looking over my shoulder. I don't want to make a mistake. Because, I I mean, I think that's natural, especially if if you're in a newer workplace environment or, or, you know, you're not experienced. Um, Is there a a balance there to to engaging your employees but not creating this, you know, really unnecessary anxiousness? Right. We used to call it the clipboard syndrome, you know, where somebody (laughs) comes around with a clipboard and checks on you. And, you know, everybody hates that. Uh, My favorite thing to do was – and I worked in a manufacturing environment, so this was pretty easy. It's a little harder in an office environment. Mm-hmm. But in a, in that open kind of area, my favorite thing to do, and of course it also let me indulge my desire not to wear nice clothes, was to come to work in jeans and regular clothes and actually work on the floor. So if I'm working with you and we're doing something together and it's not that – that sort of superficial, I'm pretending that I'm helping you, but I'm really not kind of thing that everybody can smell. If you're actually doing something with the person and you're working hard at it, it's really easy to kind of have more natural conversations. It breaks down some barriers. Mm -hmm. You can see how they're doing. You're participating. It's a little humbling for you because you're probably not going to be as good at it as they are. That's kind of cool for them. So 
I really like just getting involved as opposed to breezing by, hovering above, making a few notes, patting a shoulder and saying, hey, just seeing how you're doing today and, you know, <laughs> kind of moving on. That That's so artificial and, and nobody responds to it. But if you're there and you're actually helping, nobody minds because you're helping. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that is what it's all about. So that is kind of my favorite way to avoid the clipboard syndrome, so to speak. Um, and you've got to be really smart about reading the room, so to speak, mm-hmm. when you're when you're doing that. You've got to kind of watch, and, and you can tell if you're paying attention when people are eyeing you and thinking, okay, why is he here and what's he up to? And if you're getting a lot of that, then you've got to find a different approach. I can't tell you what would be perfect in every situation, right. but, but you can tell when, when it's not working if you're paying attention. So then from the individual's point of view, if you're an employee and, and your manager is you know, trying to do this sort of thing, do you have any advice to them in terms of just relax, don't worry about it so much? Or is that just, I mean, it's human nature in that sort of sense? I used to tell people that if you're nervous when I'm near you, then either I'm a jerk, um, <laughs> which, which may have been true, um, or you're concerned about whether or not you perform well enough. Mm-hmm. And so if that's why you're nervous you might need to look back at yourself and say, okay, what am I not doing? You know, if I'm always worried he's going to come by because I'm goofing off and he's going to catch me, well, there's an issue. Or if I'm not fast enough at whatever I do, well, there's an issue. And so I I know this sounds like management speak, but if that's the approach you're taking to it, then you've almost got to look at yourself and say, okay, maybe I ought to just fix that problem. Then I don't have to care if he comes by. Um, And then the cool thing about that is, once you fix that problem and I come by, then you can suggest stuff that you might want to do or that you might want to get involved in or that might make things better. And I'm going to listen to you because you're already checking all the boxes that you need to check. I know that's kind of a glib answer, but that is about the only way you can do that. Yeah, no, I mean, and that makes perfect sense. And I, I think you're right for the most part, I mean, without being in a specific situation. Now, you know, from my experiences with talking to people and obviously just being in a work environment, Sometimes maybe someone is struggling or have an issue and uh, they're uncomfortable going to a manager or or somebody in a a position that really could help because they don't want to make it seem like, hey, uh, I'm not up to the task. I'm not competent in this way. Again, maybe it's just just that fear in the back of your mind, maybe even more so now that, well, geez, I'm going to get laid off or something. Right. Is there advice to that individual who... Again, that that help definitely is necessary. It's going to help with their production if they just take that step to really just ask. Yeah, it's it's really hard to ask for help. It's a in most environments, it's seen as a sign of weakness Mm -hmm. and a sign that you're not getting things done, and it's really hard. So, as a manager, the best way you can deal with that is for you to flip it around and go to your employees sometimes and ask them for help because you kind of set that stage and that model. So. Again, I was in a manufacturing area, but one time we were given production targets that I thought were irrationally high, um, and I didn't know how we were going to reach them the next year. So I went out to, to one of the operators, and I just said, here's what we've got to hit next year, and I don't have a clue. Right. <laughs> and I don't know what we're going to do. Do you have some ideas? Do you have any thoughts? What would you do if you're me? And he, that was awesome for him. Um, you know, we talked, he listened. It was cool, and it sort of set the stage of, I don't know everything, and I'm going to ask for help, right. and it's okay, and you don't know everything, and you may ask for help, and that's okay. Um, so that that whole 
can you help me or can you show me or can you explain to me how this works? Not in a I'm testing you way, but in a wow, I respect your ideas, I expect your opinions, I expect your skill and your respect your skills and experience and I'm looking for you to help me. That goes over huge and it does set a really nice tone to allow people to feel that it's safe to come back the other way and do that. I like that you brought up the idea of expectations and goals. And that was one of the things that I, I believe you noted and that these expectations might limit productivity. And, and I guess it could be on either side of things. If, if they're low, such as you know your goals are set so low that you never really get to a, a point that you could but you also talk about maybe the goals are so high and you just you freeze. You don't know what you're supposed to do. Can you talk a little bit about how those expectations or goals can actually limit productivity versus maybe pushing somebody to the right place? Um, I, th- I think a bigger danger is when you have too many goals and too many sure. expectations. Um, so I think one of the smartest things you can do if you want to improve overall productivity is to look at all the goals and expectations and targets that you've set. And I know some of times they're imposed upon you as a leader, but you've still got to kind of scope those out and then decide, okay, what can we not do? Mm-hmm. Um, if you think about any project that you've ever been involved in, you, get, you end up with a scope, you end up with, okay, here's the things we're going to do, and then invariably someone dips in and says, you know, while we're at it, we should do this and this and this. Right. And, and then it becomes unmanageable and it's a disaster. So what you leave out, I think, in terms of goals and targets and expectations is as important as what you put in. So if you can go through and say, okay, I know we're trying to do this and this and this and this, but if we only focus on two of those now and we really work hard at knocking those out, then maybe we go to the others. And in the meantime, you give your folks a chance to actually succeed at something. Um, nothing succeeds like success. And so if, if we succeed at these two, then we're kind of motivated and amped up to move on to the other ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think you can accomplish four, five, ten things at once. I, unless maybe you can. I can't. <laughs> um, so you're better off just streamlining and saying what is truly important, what makes the biggest impact, let's chase that one. And your team will feel more supported by you because they'll say, hey, he understands that that is how this works. Sure. And he he's trying to not necessarily protect us, but to kind of shield us and, and give us a chance to do the best that we can do. I think along those same lines, an area that and you mentioned earlier about, you know, this sort of get rid of what, what dumb things that are sort of involved maybe or we feel as an individual doesn't add value, maybe some tasks or processes that really bog people down. For example, maybe you need to document something you do in, in three, four different areas just to make sure it's, it's all covered, so to speak. I guess what's your take on sort of this, you know, it's what we've always done mentality and really trying to get rid of this whole idea of bogging each other down. Well, I've got I've got two answers to that. As the manager, another cool thing you can do that's almost an instant productivity booster is, you know, we did the what what one dumb thing can you right. can we get rid of? Right. Another one would be what one thing could I do for you today that would make your job easier? Hmm. So not necessarily eliminating, but you know, maybe it's a tool you need, maybe it's an application you need, maybe it's some change to a process, whatever it is, they know. Your employees know right. how to make their job easier. You don't have to know the answer. You just have to ask and then help. So that from a leader side, I think that's a really cool way to kind of eliminate some of that bog. From the employee side, this is 
a terrible story to relate, but I will anyway. <laughs> no, we, we like uh, terrible stories. All right. Well, maybe it's not <laughs> terrible, but um, I moved into a, a new job and, and I was responsible for generating exactly what you talked about, a bunch of different reports. And, you know, for the first couple of weeks I did them and, you know, it took forever and mm. I would pass them out to all these people. And I realized that nobody ever talked to, about them or, or <laughs> said anything to me. And I started to think, well, what am I doing? So I went to one guy that I kind of trusted and I said, what do you do with this when I give it to you? And he said, he pointed at the shelf and there were binders over there. <laughs> nice. I said, you mean you put them in there? And he said, yeah. And I said, why do you, why? He said, well, you never know. Someday we might have to look back at it. He said, when's the last time you did? Well, never. But, you wow. know, you're making them, so we're filing them. So I just decided, I went ahead and generated the reports. Like I, I input the data, inputted the data and did all that stuff, but I just didn't pass them out one week <laughs> just to see what would happen. You know, I had them. I was ready. Nobody said a word. Really? So then I, I did the same thing the next time. Didn't, didn't pass them out, though. Nobody said a word. So then I went to my boss and said, you know, don't shoot me, but <laughs> I didn't pass these out, and nobody seems to care. Can we do away with this? And he made a couple calls, and everybody said, well, I didn't even realize I didn't get them. So, yeah, what the heck? Um, so I know that's kind of an extreme way to go at it. But, you know, maybe the softer way is if you do have those, you know, if you're documenting something three or four times and it doesn't make sense, you know, as an employee, I don't think you need to stop doing them. But maybe you just go to somebody and say, hey, I'm not sure this makes a lot of sense or I'm not, I'm not sure we're using these or whatever. And just don't frame it in a, I've got so much to do already right. that I need to get rid of this task way because nobody responds to that. It would be a you know, hey, if nobody's reading this, I won't waste their time and I can put my time to doing, you know, other things, mm. whatever it may be. Um, that kind of works. Um, maybe maybe you don't just quit passing them out. That could have been a career limit move. Um, but <laughs> it was I had bold. all the data. It was I had all the data. Right. <laughs> so right. You I were ready. ready. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no, I think that I think your example is perfect. I, I think a lot of people do feel in that position sometimes where um, is there a point to me doing this? And I, I think right. that is just it's an uncomfortable feeling, like you said, because you, it's hard to approach that as well, because well, I'm supposed to be doing it. But uh, your way worked out. Not that, as you said, you're right. condoning in that bold of a, of a step. But right. But I, I think for the real key for the employee, though, is to not frame it in that. Oh, wow, I need to get rid of this, mm -hmm. you know, because it's stupid kind of a way. You can sort of say it that way, but the real key is, hey, I'm trying to make things better and I'm trying to open up time and, you know, I'm trying to get other things done and, and you know, maybe I could do other things in rep in, to replace that time. Um, but if you just go and say, I'm tired of doing these because it doesn't make sense, that nobody responds well to that. They right. should, but they won't. When we're talking then about an employee's productivity, Where's the balance as far as the responsibility of helping to improve that? Do you put it on the manager versus the individual? I mean, obviously, they both have to play a role, but is there a balance? Is it one more than the other? I mean, what's been your experience with either what's worked or what really you felt you know, is best? You know, that goes that goes several ways because I've I worked in a massive plant, and there were some supervisors that had areas that performed outstandingly well and then you move the supervisor somewhere else and it was a disaster so you started to think okay it's the cruise not the guy um, and then there were other times when there were people you could move anywhere and suddenly productivity would jump mm -hmm. so I, I do think you know it is all parties job I think the trick is that or the key is that you look at employees and say, what can you feasibly do and what falls within the responsibility or better yet, the authority that you have to hit your targets 
And that's kind of their job. So if I've given you the tools, I've given you the process, I've given you the stuff, and it is physically possible and not at all out of the question mm -hmm. for you to hit what I'm trying to do, well, that kind of stuff is your responsibility. If you then take a step back from that and say, okay, he doesn't have the tools, he doesn't have the processes, he doesn't have whatever those things are that allows him to succeed, well, then that's the manager or the leader's job, if that makes sense. And I know that's kind of a, a pat answer, but that really is what it boils down to. So when I had supervisors whose areas weren't performing particularly well, I would first just look at the crews and make sure, okay, these guys know what they're doing. Do they have their stuff? You know, can they succeed? Mm -hmm. Yeah, they probably can. Hmm. <laughs> then, then it's then it's my guy. <laughs> you know, and and he's something he is doing is either demotivating or getting in the way or whatever it may be. So that's kind of how I used to try to evaluate it. There is never a simple answer because it's sure. always a lot of people involved. Mm -hmm. and, and that always gets fuzzy. Um, but that kind of is what it boils down to for me. Yeah, no, definitely. I think you're pointing out that it, essentially be self-aware. Make sure you're doing what you need to do first before you start saying, well, you know, well, my manager needs to be motivating me in some way or, or you know, right. geez, that individual needs to step it up. As we look at this then as a whole, obviously, I mean, I think you've given us some terrific examples and, and you know, advice in terms of really both sides of the spectrum. Are there any just quick tips, maybe simple things that an individual listening you know, at their office can do to just step it up a notch? Even if it's 1%, 2%, I mean, that can go a long way over the course of a year, obviously. Right. Just it, little things, little things at their desk, little things at a meeting. I mean, anything that jumps out to you or really through, through the years of your experience, what's really worked that is a small thing that really everybody could do. My favorite thing to do, um, and it's because I thought of it because you said one or two percent, we tend to look for improvements in incremental steps. Mm -hmm. Like, can I get two percent? Can I get five percent? Whatever. <laughs> and so that automatically causes you to look at, at like processes or things in a certain way. Uh, the best thing that I ever did, and I don't know why I did it, <laughs> I had a really smart operator and I walked out and I was, he was eating lunch at his machine and I sat down beside him and I said, that, remember, this is like a, I don't know, $2 million piece of equipment. So it was very complex and lots of stuff, and it would jam up and shut down. And there were all kinds of reasons why the line would end up stopping, mm -hmm. which is, of course, a productivity problem. <laughs> so I said to him, you know, if, if, you, if I told you that you had to be sure that your machine would never shut off unless you chose to shut it off, what would you need to do to this thing? So I wasn't talking about how do we squeeze 2% or whatever. Mm -hmm. I was basically saying, how can it be perfect? Sure. And he looked at me. First, he looked at me like I was crazy. Um, Naturally. And he sat there for a minute, and then he said, well, let's see. And he started listing all the things that kind of happen, all the things that go wrong, all the things that could be caused not to go wrong if we did a little preventive maintenance or if we changed the process or if we switched things out differently. I ended up with... Like, 10 pages of notes from him just sitting there rattling stuff off. And I thought, wow, that, that's more than we can do in a year. Um, <laughs> but that's really cool. And so the result of that was we went back and, I mean, we did all kinds of things. Like we, we changed one employee on the line's lunch schedule so that while everybody else went to lunch, he was doing, he was swapping out some parts and some supplies and things mm -hmm. on different machines so that we didn't have to worry about that. We went through all kinds of changes and, 
I think the next year, and remember, this is in a plant where productivity gains were usually measured in single digits. I think we were up the next year like 24% or something, which made me look heroic, um, <laughs> but but was mainly because this one guy sat there and said, okay, I'll humor you. <laughs> right. Here's what we would have to do. So I guess in a long-winded way, my advice to anyone is don't think about the one minute or the two minute or the three minute for a second. That's, that's important and it's valuable. But just take a second and look at something kind of bigger and say, how would I make that perfect? Or how would I make that go away? Or how would I make it so it just happened and I really didn't need to participate and I didn't need to think about it and it was always right? What would I need to do to make that happen? And mm-hmm. if you approach it from that far end, you'll come up with a lot of stuff, and it's easy stuff, but you'll come up with a lot of things you never thought about because you were, again, just trying to be incremental. Uh, that's my favorite. That is absolutely my favorite thing to do. Well, Jeff, thanks once again for lending us your perspective, uh, really on increasing productivity. And I, I do trust that our listeners can definitely use some of these tips, no matter what position they're in, whether uh, you know just a, your typical employee or a management position, I think they can use your advice. So again, thanks for coming on and uh, maybe we'll talk again sometime. Oh, you're welcome. Again, that was our guest, Jeff Hayden, owner of Blackbird Media. That'll wrap things up here on Moving Up the Ladder. Of course, we want to hear from you, the listeners, as well. So drop us an email with any comments or suggestions at ljnradio at localjobnetwork.com. Wishing you success in all your endeavors. I'm Tim Muma. You've been listening to localjobnetwork.com radio.